0: Well, hello, everyone, and thank you to this latest session of our Modern SaaS Finance Podcast. My name is David Apple. I'm head of the SaaS and Software Vertical here at Sage Intact, and we created this just for you, CFOs, controllers, FP&A, RevOps, other members of the finance community, and fast-growth SaaS companies. In each of these, we discuss subscription and usage billing models, RevRec, SaaS metrics, forecasting, other key functions you need on driving the cash flow and the trajectory of a firm, on his path to IPO, joining me is a longtime business colleague, Peter Nesbitt, the chief operating officer of TeamPay, an excellent firm. We're going to let him tell you about. It. I invited Peter to join this because he and I have known each other across several uh, years, and then in the communities that he's been building, where it pulls people together in order to have everybody learn through each other. And then, of course, the great mission that TeamPay has. Peter, would you share with everybody a little bit about you and your background?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at TeamPay. Uh, TeamPay is a modern spend management platform, really bringing all your purchasing and procurement into one place. Um, it's very easy for employees to make requests, get approvals, and ultimately for heads of finance to track uh, company spending in real time. Um, you know, I've been here for about three years. I, I came in as the head of finance about three years ago. And I'm still the head of finance, but the opportunity to you know, take on a bunch of new additional responsibilities as as we've grown from Series A to Series B um, over my tenure here. Um, previously, before TeamPay, I I was um, led finance at two other organizations at Bitly, uh, the short link company, actually, where I brought in Intact uh, to really help us with our revrec and our um, uh, our SaaS subscription billing. Um, and then um, later at Unified, a you know a, a, a later stage Series B. Um, uh, SaaS and services business, and you know, I think you know, in that in that time before that, I was you know in more traditional high finance, like investment banking and private equity, and started a, a much longer career ago um, doing signals intelligence for the U.S. Army. So uh, you can see why I invited Peter to join. He's he's had such a rich experience
0: of life and tips and tricks in order to pull things together. And you've been real active in building finance communities. Would you share why did you start building? finance
1: communities yeah you know that's a good question when I you know was sort of battlefield promoted into my first head of finance role uh, there's you know a lot of stuff I just didn't know and it's really the stuff the unknown unknowns that kept me up at night like truly just you know panic attacks sort of feeling like oh my gosh am I gonna get a tax notice I never heard about before or am I gonna miss something on payroll or you know are our investors gonna be upset about this that or the other and so there's all these sort of things that you know, especially when you're first taking over a sort of a function like this, there's just so much stuff learned, learn, so much breadth um, at you know, the kind of growth stage companies. Um, and I really wanted to find other people who had been there, done that, or also go into the same thing themselves. And so that was their initial catalyst of that, of you know, bringing people together who sat in the seat or sit in the seat now, of like, hey, um, how do I do this? Or what are the best practices? Or give me a couple of vendors you like or hate. Um, or hey do you have someone who could you know t- fill this role I'm hiring you know uh, a controller or an FpNA analyst and so just having that community fall back on um, has been a, a huge catalyst to both my you know my time in the seat of the head of finance but also I think for many other people in my communities well it's just amazing and I've been real
0: active in a it and that's how things unfold where people are coming in nobody has all the answers but if you can kind of crowdsource, amongst peers where it's a a good environment, a trusting environment, and people who can empathize with what it is you're doing and hopefully contribute to one another. um, That makes a big difference. So why do you think the community works so well in helping
1: each other out? Yeah, you know, good question. I think it's because everyone has the same feeling. It's like, you know, we're all smart, educated folks, but there's just so much we just don't know. And there's, it'll always be the case. You know, every business is different. Every life cycle of a business is different. You know, there's always sort of like, interesting edge cases that come up like that really just stump you all the time and so i think i i I do think you know people in the who are you know in the trenches really in the finance and ops space really really empathize with each other and the hard work that it really is that no one else at the company knows and frankly it's a pretty lonely job frequently you're the only person in your role you don't have you know a lot of other support around you and so um that's ultimately why people are i think are so supportive of each other because they need that support too
0: yeah. And as you all know, our listener, it's sometimes you have to have hard conversations with people on what is the right thing to do for a company or how something might impact deferred revenue and thus the valuation of the company. They don't have context, but you have to sit them down, have very direct and real conversations on making that happen. I think you said you've been building one of your own podcasts about something along those lines.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, here at Team Here we're building a podcast called Awkward Conversations tales from the finance department. And so this is a place where finance professionals, you know, are often forced to be the bad guy. Um, you know, CF no, as we all are frequently told, which can lead to some uncomfortable conversations with employees about business purchases. So I sit down with other finance leaders to discuss their most awkward conversations they've had and what they've learned throughout their careers. Yeah, that's funny. That's
0: I what everybody's always looking for. And I hear a lot of feedback from people who listen to our podcast. They're just looking for tips and tricks. What should I do? What should I not do? And so let's leave this in a little bit of, you got a lot of perspective on where's the puck going on how companies should best manage cash flow?
1: Yeah, good question. I think the puck's going where how less manage cash flow is getting visibility into it. I think frequently there's disparate systems that people are using, most likely a lot of different spreadsheets. And anytime they want to actually project or manage cash flow, it's a lot of a depending on you know the, the type of business or the scale can be a pretty manual process to get a real detailed view. I think most finance leaders have a general sense of cash flow based off of where they're at and their projections and their burn rate. But I think getting a real detailed view is a, a real challenge for uh, for most finance leaders.
0: You know, I I now um, we've been blessed. To- went over the business over a thousand software companies and I'm exec sponsor in many of these conversations. And I talk to folks about what it is they're trying to do, what their ideal is and, and then sharing lessons we've learned over time with it. And th- a couple things just keep popping up. The more data is in multiple different places, the more you have to reconcile, the more the close gets delayed, mm-hmm. the more that things are manual the more someone's doing the efforts by themselves and that's and that chance of error, but other things aren't happening because they're putting work in there, then it's harder to pull it all together to report, to understand what's happening. And the more exceptions there are, which sometimes are inevitable, mm-hmm. certainly at the earlier stages that you're trying to figure out the product market fit, what's the right sales efficiency and the billing model and how do you best compete against your competition. But the sooner you can take exceptions out, and just get things consistent, and that comes down to some great communication between sales and finance and other teams, customer success and others, and, and really understand the implications for one another and come up with a common goal with that goal of taking out exceptions, then that's what brings you a lot of clarity. And we, we call that term just having a modern finance tech stack mm-hmm. coming in. I think that's kind of the point that you were making earlier. Is the more you can take that out, the more you can refine and get more clarity on cash flow.
1: Yeah, I, I think a good example of this is like, Take expenses out of the equation in terms of your cash flow analysis. I mean, obviously I can plug team pay all day about a way to get control and visibility into spend. However, like there's a bunch of you know, bunch of ways to do this today. The place that's the most variable and the hardest to predict, of course, is gonna be your revenue. And so I think that's where you should spend your time as a head of finance with you know process people, you know, and, and just thought in terms of how to project cash flow, how to think about cash flow from a revenue perspective. And By simplifying your life, by making the expense piece or the cost piece of cash flow a lot easier, then you can spend more of your time on where it's actually, you know, where you can get a lot more leverage and importance in the business to determine where cash could come in from billions um, in the future. Yeah. And as you get bigger, predictability becomes so much more important.
0: And if the end game is something for a large buyout or an IPO, folks or investors are really going to want to get in the the data room into what is happening, what is the predictability in that. And the more automation happens, the more you get these insights, the more you understand the cash you have in order to invest, in order to get predictable, the better off you're going to be. It's just a great area. But let's wrap up with the question. This is something you've done a lot of and talked a lot about. How do you build a great finance team?
1: Yeah, good question. I think a great finance team is based off of the scale and scope of the business at that point of time. Mm-hmm. But I think early stage, it's really good to have some real good generalists um, who can pitch in in a lot of different ways. And I think once you get to sort of your typical growth stages, B, C, and beyond, that's really when it's time to bring in real specialists, such as a controller, such as a director of fp who really know their functions inside and out and have done this before. And so I think you know, no understanding where you're at in the kind of the business life cycle is important. And second is like being able to understand people's careers and like, okay, this is going to make someone to be a good controller, a good director of finance or director of FPA in this function at this stage of our, our business.
0: Yeah, and there's as you laid out, there's something for each stage. So Series A's generally trying to hire a generalist to get move them off of uh, basic accounting and to start to automate some of the core processes, and then want to bring some more controls in and a controller comes in might want to get more involved in what's happening if you got more sophisticated trying to differentiate through billing and then a rev ops person who's gonna kind of be that blend between sales Mm -hmm. and finance at some point i see all different levels on when founders bring in cfos either as the first hire or the more mature hire once there's some infrastructure in place in order to better communicate to uh to investors, when do you think the right time for the founders that are listening to this to bring in the CFO?
1: You know, I think a founder should find someone they trust, at least part time, very early on, in terms of this sort of like financial discipline and leadership. It doesn't have to be someone full time. I think a lot of times this can be done fractionally. Um, but I think for a full CFO, I usually think of someone who's at least in the software space, who is, you know, taking a company public or has, you know, done much later stage fund- fundraising. And so I think that's the point in time where. Um, it helps to have someone who has experience with that process, which is a different type of fundraising than happens, you know, you know, series C to series C. That's amazing. Thank you. These are all such amazing insights. Anything
0: you want to share as we're wrapping up?
1: Uh, I think this is great. I think it's important for anyone to just join, find communities that related to your, your profession. If you're in finance, if you're in rev ops, there's a lot of communities out there. I think it's definitely an opportunity for you to give back and also to learn.
0: Yeah. And so thank you, Peter. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for all of you for joining us today. And to that point that Peter just made is please join the Modern SaaS Finance community. And it's at uh, bit.ly slash modern SaaS finance, all one word, bit.ly slash modern SaaS finance. And where folks get together and talk all things about fundraising, business models, investor metrics, mm-hmm. build a great team. And also subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with future episodes. We've had some several great ones uh, coming uh, before many more on their way coming because we're available on all the major streaming platforms so peter thank you very much and to our listener for you listening thank you and have a great day